Hello and welcome back to the CUI podcast. Feels like a while, Paddy, doesn't it, since we've we've been back here? It has here. been a little while since our live episode yeah. um, where we, you know, we got to meet the, the throngs of fans in person. Definitely, definitely. It was quite an experience, it but was. it's it good really to be was. back. Yes. And we're joined by a very exciting guest today, Peter Dre. Good morning. Hello. Hello. How, how are you doing, Peter? Yeah, very well. Uh, we're recording in Greystones, which is somewhere I've not been before. Mm. What an amazing place to be. Much uh, much more exciting than boring Leeds, which oh. is where I've come from. <laughs> <laughs> not sure about that. Greystones is pretty beautiful, though. Mm. Every time I come here, I just want to move here. Um, definitely. Every time I see the sea, I'm like, oh. It's be a great place to live. Absolutely, yeah. It's very beautiful. And Peter, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself for those that don't know you? Yeah, so uh, my name is Peter Dre. I work with UCCF, which is the British equivalent of CUI. Uh, so I work across England, Scotland and Wales. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm married to Linda. I've got two boys, Samuel and Toby, who are 11 and 8. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, job-wise, um, I have the, the vague, suitably vague title of Director of Creative Evangelism, mm. and really my brief is uh, to ensure that as university culture changes, that our students and our staff are as equipped as they can be for their multiple contexts, to be able to speak about Jesus and, and to live out following him in a way that really kind of scratches where their friends are itching. It's mm, incredible. And what, what led you to, to be involved in student ministry, Peter? Yeah, so student ministry was absolutely massive for me. Um, I'd come from a believing background. Uh, my dad was a pastor. Um, but we came from quite a, a sleepy, I would say, part of England. Um, the closest person uh, at my church in age to me was my brother. And then there was... A really big gap to anybody else and to be honest going to university then was a bit like being thrown into a grow bag you know I grew so much as a Christian I think a whole load of things that I've been taught in theory uh, became things that you know gripped my life and and certainly I think when it came to the idea of telling other people about Jesus who weren't Christian or who weren't sure whether or not they were Christian all of my time growing up that was something that other people did not me and, and at university, I think, I began to sense, no, no there's a part for me, there's a part for all of us mm-hmm. uh, in this. And yeah, so since then, uh, I've worked with UCCF uh, for now 19 years in a whole range of, of different roles. Mm-hmm. It really all, all boils back to those early years in Bristol. That's brilliant. Oh, and Peter, I'm sure you have some stories from across the year of, of different times that you've worked with students. Do you have a Do you have a favourite story? That's probably putting you on the spot. Well, so <laughs> I, I, there there are a couple that stand out from my time as a staff worker in the northwest. Um, one involves uh, a carol service. So the, there's a CU Ambleside, which is in the heart of the Lake District, and they said, "Oh, we're not going to do anything at Christmas time this year. We're not going to do a carol service. No one comes." And the truth is no one did come, but the reason was they held their carol service just in this horrible gym oh in a no. basketball court. <laughs> now, you know, Ambleside is quite literally a chocolate box uh, location and Ambleside Parish Church in the middle of Ambleside is a perfect place that everyone will want to come to at Christmas. So I, you know, I said, you know, good staff worker, not making an assertion, but asking a question, can you think of anywhere else other than the basketball court? 
that you could hold your parallel para, uh, service in the back of my head. I'm thinking yeah. Ambleside Parish Church, Ambleside Parish Church. No one says anything. Mm-hmm. And then this voice pop, pipes up and, and she says, well, I've heard that. Um, it's likely that Jesus wasn't actually born in a stable, but he might have been born in a cave. <laughs> and we have the National Trust caves here. Why don't we have our carol service <laughs> oh, wow. in the cave? <laughs> And that's what happened. <laughs> once and only once, I think the National Trust freaked out that, you know, it's too much of a kind of health and safety thing to ever allow again. So so that was amazing. And then, so cool. yeah, much more briefly, I don't know if you do text to toasty or things yes, like that here in yes, Ireland. So definitely. I was the staff worker where, where the CU came up with that. Um, and it's a claim to fame as well. well. That's yeah, great. To be honest, I thought it was a rubbish idea. I remember saying, who's going to text him and this sort of thing? <laughs> Um, but yes, this, this tiny little CU who were looking for a creative way of engaging people in a new hall of residence. So, um, they, I get two strokes of genius, um, on the part of student leaders and, uh, and that, that's part of the reason that I still love working with students as well. It's a, a very, very exciting time. And, oh, like you said, the creativity just even through those stories are just amazing. And Peter, I suppose you've, you've touched on it already, but why are you passionate about student ministry? Is there something specific about students? That... Oh, I, I mean, I think there are loads of things. Um, there's there's the, the, the kind of the melting pot of people that come together. Mm. So uh, if you're like me and you've come from a believing background, to some extent you're forced to decide whether or not you're going to make that your own. Mm. Um, but also... Um, Somebody once said to me, nobody comes to university to stay the same. And I thought that was a brilliant line. No one comes to university to stay the same. And therefore, there's something inherent to the university experience itself, which means that we're all deciding how we're going to kind of forge a path beyond. We recognise it's a really key time. And in the midst of that, I think for for Christian unions to be at the heart of um, helping people to um, make sense of their experiences and ask and get answers to their questions, I think is a really exciting place to be, yeah. Definitely, it is very exciting at times. Um, and Peter, you've written a new book recently, spoilers, yes. you should definitely go and <laughs> check it out. Um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so it's called Reality and Other Stories. Um, it actually started um, as a, a, a series of events that one of the CUs did uh, in England during lockdown. Um, uh, they uh, did a mission-themed story, which I guess, event suite-themed story, which some here in Ireland may have done as well. Um, and when they came to me, um, I thought, um, I'd, I'd just like to test, kind of test out a new concept. Um, there's quite a fat book, it's about 800 pages long, written by a guy called Christopher Booker called The Seven Basic Plots. And basically, in it... He says there are seven kinds of story that we just find ourselves telling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on TV, uh, in movies, but even if somebody asks you, how was your weekend? You will find that you turn to one of these seven kind of shapes of story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, one of them is overcoming the monster, the idea of, you know, Jurassic Park and Jaws and any film involving Nazis that, you know, there's this ter- terrific, scary entity um, that must be overcome and it's normally overcome uh, in quite a surprising way or there's rags to riches or the idea of voyage and return mm-hmm. somebody stays at home then they're forced away from home 
um, maybe like the Wizard of Oz or anything involving time travel is a voyage and return story and then they come back and they come back home but they're changed and in a sense their perception of home has changed as well and, a, and uh, seven plots in all and I've been thinking about this for a long time and essentially uh, we, we live in Jesus' universe we say Jesus is Lord get this, Jesus actually is Lord and therefore the fact that we find ourselves telling these seven kinds of story isn't just indicative of things about our own psychology, but it tells us something about the nature of reality too. And in a sense, Jesus both subverts and he fulfills all of these stories and the desires that lay behind them. So yeah, what we did in this uh, um, C events week is we, we took some of these basic plots and we thought about, okay, how does Jesus subvert and fulfill overcoming the monster stories or stories of tragedy stories of rebirth um and yeah i mean long story short um somebody suggested it'd be great to put this in a book and uh and so that's that's what's come really it's it's a book really which is hopefully a creative exploration of the ultimate story jesus story in luke's gospel through the lens of these kind of seven story angles and i guess how then how then do these stories help us um, yeah, to, to communicate the gospel with people in that, you know, is it then immediately that any story we read or watch, we can just um, project it onto the gospel or is it not so important <laughs> as that? Yeah, so I think most, m- many Christians are a bit sceptical about this. They just think, oh, come on. You know, we've heard really bad talks where Jesus' death on the cross is compared to I don't know, seen from the Lion King or the Shawshank Redemption or something like that. And then, you know, we think, you know, this is very tenuous. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, What I'm talking about is that stories are ultimately about desire. What drives a story is that that, um, the protagonist, the, the central character wants something. And the story, any story really, is about whether or not the character gets what they want and the effect on them. Okay, now, what this means is every story tells us something about our desires. So think about the Overcoming the Monsters stories, for example. Overcoming the Monsters stories are saying there are horrific things in our world. And get this, they are much more powerful than you. You try and take them on by yourself, you will be ripped limb from limb. Um, But what these stories indicate is that we have a desire that... Even these apparently f- uncontrollable, fearful forces uh, will be overcome by good. Um, now, what you then see is uh, when Jesus steps into human space and time, that's exactly what he spends his time doing. He takes on entities that seem to be ruining people's lives, uh, whether that's um, illness or um, demon oppression. And he goes around and and he shows that that I'm the one who can slay those monsters. But here's the thing that you always see in overcoming the monster stories. If the monster is to be overcome fully and finally, the hero has to go right into the lair Mm. of where the monster is strongest and exploits a weakness to ensure that the, the monster is overcome. So as you read on in Luke's gospel, you find Jesus walks into the lair of oppression Do you remember it says he sets his face towards Jerusalem? He knows that that's where ultimately he has to go. 
not in order just to patch people's worlds up, but in order to take the power of the monster from the inside out. And just as, you know, you think of, um, oh, I don't know, Black Panther, the way in which Killmonger is overcome is, is through a weakness that he didn't know that he had in the vibranium mine. In the same way, the way that Jesus overcomes the monster is not in the way that you'd expect. It's not a show of muscle. It's not Jesus saying, ha, let me show how much stronger than I, I am than you. It's in weakness. It's in humiliation. And so there is something about each of those stories that says there are fearful entities that we long to be overcome. We long for good to overcome evil. We long for order to overcome chaos. But we know deep down that that can't just be through, you know, our hero having great bigger muscles. It's got to be almost short-circuited from the inside. So what that then means is, yeah, whenever you're watching an Overcoming the Monster story, you can allow yourself to feel the fact that we live in a world which has been ruined by monsters. Um, but also to let that direct you and to direct your friends thinking, well, why is it then that we long for? You know, if, if we live in a universe, um, in a world in which the weak just eat the strong, uh, st- sorry, the strong just eat the weak, okay, <laughs> If, if nature just is red in tooth and claw, if the strong are always liable to overcome the powerless, then what hope do we have? So I, when it comes back to stories, then I think for one thing, it allows us to enjoy them more. Um, I think some Christians are a bit frightened. They think stories about escapism. No, no, no. Good stories aren't about escapism. Good stories take you deeper into reality. And if you are willing to follow where your desires point you, and where scripture shows is, is the ultimate fulfillment of those desires. We can find that there's, there, are, there are way more connection points in our own lives. And as we speak to other people um, about Jesus. And so once we understand these stories and the kind of desires behind them better, how can we go about, how does, how does that affect the way that we talk to our friends? Because I sure. suppose there's the obvious kind of see you running an event and they watch a movie and then discuss it. But yeah. That's obviously not always going to be the formal no, no, case. No. So how does that affect our just conversations with friends about movies or books? or? I mean, I whatever? think for, for one thing, it means that one of the best things you can do with your mates is watch something together, read something together, go to the cinema together. I remember a group of lads um, and all they ever, all every conversation was banter and football. And, and that was great. And the friendship was very rich, but I longed for just, you know, the occasional opportunity um, to speak about Jesus and we went to watch a film together in the cinema and, and do you know what? one of the you know you can very easily have conversations about this kind of thing if you go back to that um, idea that um, that stories are always about what people want mm-hmm. okay um, and so what that means is you can think about what is this what is this movie what does this story show us about what we want and then to what extent do you think that the movie was realistic in depicting whether or not those desires can be found. Um, so, you know, I know that, uh, well, certainly in England at the moment, High School Musical is kind of having its second wave. Okay, and you think, well, what, what is, you know, uh, a sugary rom-com uh, like High School Musical say about wants and desires? Okay, well, it says something about fitting in, the strength to um, be willing to break with the status quo, um, but also to find love. And, you know, what, what you can do at the end of that is to say, okay, wh- this is saying something true about desire. 
Okay, it's saying something true about romance, saying something true about individuality. To what extent actually is the answer that the film shows up a good one? And I guess most of us would say, well, yeah, no, there is, it says some good things, but actually it overpromises as well. Um, I find it quite helpful to think that Jesus says to all of our basic desires, yes, but no, but yes. Yes, that desire is real. No, the way in which you might be looking to satisfy that desire will take you to some wrong places. But yes, through my death and resurrection, I invite you into a relationship which satisfies those deep desires now and one day will fulfill them when I return. So I think it can give us a new range of questions um, when we're talking to, to people. And it means that we ourselves don't need to be frightened of being moved by stories. Um, but to see them as, as a call ultimately to, to, to life beyond, uh, to life with Jesus, yeah. Mm, that's so helpful, Peter. I think especially as well, if we haven't really maybe thought about films and <laughs> even analysing or looking at what the themes are in films, I think that's a really helpful way of looking at it, seeing yeah. the desires and even what they're seeking during the film. Is there anything else when we're sort of watching a film to look out for to help us interpret the story better? Yeah, I mean, I think always the most helpful question that you can think about is the, the central character's own story. And again, a, a really helpful question that you can think about is what did the character know? And I don't mean intellectually know, but kind of know in the deeper sense. What did they know at the end of the story that they didn't know at the beginning? Okay, and what do you make of that? Okay, so... Um, uh, you know, in, in, in some, in a lot of um, time travel movies, for example, um, you think back to the future or some more serious ones as well. <laughs> Normally, the central character takes life at home for granted. They're forced into another world, which at first they really enjoy, but then they realize, no, I need to get out of here. And then when they come home, they experience life just as it was before but normally with a new sense of gratitude, a deepened sense of gratitude. Um, and again, you can say, look, what, what does that tell us then about, about life? What does that tell us about our, our tendency um, to look for life elsewhere, where potentially all that we need is right in our laps? You think about Jesus' story of the prodigal son, that's a voyage and return story. And Jesus himself is saying, we all have a tendency to break away and to look for life elsewhere. What if actually true life is closer um, than you imagine and ultimately um, in, in the relationship with the Father? So I think that's a, a helpful question to ask. Um, and, and it will make you be honest. Um, this is one of the things I, I think I love about this is that, that Christians have exactly the same desires as everybody else, mm -hmm. we all have exactly the same tendency to look for the right thing in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. And I think what that then means is, as we talk about desires with our friends, we don't have to give the impression, ah yes, well, I know that I have this romantic desire and since meeting God, I know perfectly how to steward <laughs> these romantic <laughs> desires and I never look to fulfill them in the wrong, no, no, no. It means that you can be honest that these desires are really powerful we all have a tendency to satisfy them in the wrong place. But ultimately, Jesus says that, that firstly and fully, those desires point to him. And then in knowing him, we're able to enjoy those desires, romance and others in human relationships 
in in the way that we were made for. I think um, earlier on you talked a little bit about you know some Christians viewing stories as escapism and kind of being a, a little bit skeptical about that. Um, but then thinking about yeah, I guess some specific movies or stories like Harry Potter or even Avatar. I remember when the first Avatar came out, there were loads of people who were yeah. kind of really depressed that Pandora wasn't a real place. Yeah. Um, or even kind of romantic period drums like Little Women or whatever. It presents this really beautiful world. And you watch it and you kind of feel like at the end, man, I'm depressed that life isn't actually like that. Yeah. Um, and so to a degree, when people watch those movies over and over again, it is an escapism. But yeah. it's an escapism to like an ideal world yeah is that is that something that we can talk about oh that that is absolutely right um uh when he was writing um children's stories uh c.s lewis uh, was asked look why are you spending so much time writing these you know essentially these children's stories and he's he's a big academic at this point um and he said, um, there are certain things that you can only convey um, in the fantasy genre, and particularly in children's stories. And he said, actually, um, the, the fact that those worlds seem to make such perfect sense of our desires, you know, that, that it feels like um, those stories, the, 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 the hand just slips into the glove. Um, shows that and you know this is one of his famous things isn't it we're made for a world other than our own um now it is possible then i think to come away from those stories and to come out of the cinema and just be you know think goodness the real world is just so gray it's so boring it's so rainy you know all of these uh, ways in which the real world seems uh, seems to fall short um but a christian way of thinking about those things would not be to um kind of idolize that vision of a better world but it would be to recognize that there is something within us that longs for creation to be restored creation to be redeemed mm-hmm. that's taking us right then into the heart of the gospel right into the heart of um romans chapter 8 isn't it mm-hmm. and i think that actually as a christian you are able to live with disappointment more fully when you realize that this disappointing world is not the final world that actually Jesus is coming back to redeem these things. And it's not then that I have to escape into Pandora or to, you know, get depressed that the real world isn't Hogwarts. But nonetheless, to, to, to recognise that, again, those deep desires can be satisfied. I can be satisfied now in Jesus in my disappointment. Um, even when I'm lying, uh, you know, in my bed dying of cancer, even when I crash my car, even when I'm dropped from the team, what I have in Jesus is able to satisfy me in the midst of my disappointment. But ultimately, those deep desires will be fulfilled um, when he returns. And so, you know, what is it about those stories? Um, you know, I, I remember a conversation with a student in Newcastle who said, actually, I find that Harry Potter seems to make more sense of my desires, the Harry Potter stories, than life itself. And you think, yeah, absolutely, because those stories are pointing us towards um, the story in Jesus who ultimately um, endorses those desires as good, who calls us away from looking to satisfy them in the wrong place, who draws alongside us to satisfy them now and who promises us that one day, you know, 
the fact that these desires are so strong is not a function of just my evolutionary psychology, but they're real. Mm. You know, as Ecclesiastes says, God has placed eternity in the hearts of humans. This is part of how God has placed eternity in our hearts through through desires and through story. Yeah, for sure. And I think sometimes, you know, it's quite it's actually quite bewildering to feel those things after you watch a movie. You're like, I was just trying to pass a few hours. This deep sense of loss that the place isn't real. And I think that's, yeah, it's so interesting why we have those feelings and desires. And I think that's really helpful. Thanks, Pete. Mm, and you even mentioned, Peter, as well, that you've, we could see these stories around us, even when we're sharing with our friends how our weekend was, or uh-huh. um, how probably we naturally communicate through a story we don't even realise. And I suppose how, for those like me, <laughs> who maybe aren't as creative in, in sharing stories, do you have any advice for how we use stories or, or share them or even acknowledge that we're <laughs> sharing them at points? Well, you, you can't, even if you don't like stories, you can't mm-hmm. help telling stories. You've probably got a story about why you don't like telling stories. Mm. Okay, you, We just can't <laughs> step outside of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, in the world of the Bible, that makes absolute sense because we live in an authored reality. Um, and in a sense, life is a story we walk in when a scene has already begun and we walk off before the scene is finished. Mm. We have to make con- um, sense of our lives within a big story as well. So none of us can live without stories. Not all of us can be creative people who write stories or who perform, um, and that's okay. Mm. But I think all of us can be interested in other people's stories. Um, nearly always when you meet somebody from a different religious background, for example, it's, I find it tempting to want to talk about the beliefs. I met a Jehovah's Witness last week and he was saying things about Jesus and I wanted to take it on at a theological level. It was much more helpful actually when I just said, have you always been a Jehovah's Witness? Mm. Um, tell me what it was that drew, drew you to this faith. And then he told me, I said, look, goodness, that's very interesting because the, the reason that you've given for becoming a Jehovah's Witness would be... Um, the same reason why many people um, hold an orthodox Trinitarian view of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we can be interested in other people's stories. Um, and I think probably all of us can just get a little bit better at telling stories. And, and that includes when it comes to talking about Jesus. Um, mm. I was really pulled up as a second year staff worker with UCCF when my relay worker said to me, your talks are quite interesting, apart from when you talk about the cross, when it's always the same and it's so boring and it's so cliched. Goodness, it was like a dagger to the heart. <laughs> and, and actually even recognising that the Bible has given us a really wide range of ways mm. in which to talk about um, the heart of the gospel, even a whole load of theological concepts. You know, you think of things like redemption or adoption or even, you know, some of these scary ones like propitiation. Mm-hmm. They're all images which are underpinned by a story. And therefore, I think um, we shouldn't be scared as much as, so long as scripture is our anchor mm-hmm. in being able to, um, to, to use story um, as, as we share the gospel. But I think even if that feels intimidating, to just be willing to ask other people about their experiences, their stories. Um, 
the first story mission in the UK was at Durham University, and the um, and the strapline to the event suite was "What's your story?" And I remember being there and sat in these chairs at the back of a marquee, and a guy came and plonked himself down next to me. I was just doing some work at the time. I got talking. What's your name? My name's Nathan. Okay, why are you here? Do you know anyone? We invited. No, just came off the back of a flyer. Oh, interesting. Okay, just said I've never been asked what my story was before. I've got a story to tell. Um, would you be interested in hearing it? So close my laptop. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it just just the invitation? What's your story? Was enough for this person to be able to open up about all sorts of things. And to be honest, when we tell our stories, we actually bear quite a lot of ourselves. Um, and so you know, with friends, if if we can if we can um, be good listeners to their stories, I think we'll then find that there are really rich opportunities to share our own stories and ultimately the story of Jesus too. Uh, Peter, you even mentioned there about the opportunity of doing Story Events Week and everything. I suppose, are there any specific opportunities that our students have while they're at university in sharing or engaging with stories? Uh, I mean, yes, absolutely. The main one, I think, is that you probably have got a quantity and a quality of relationships um, with people that you'll never have again in your life you know you'll have a breadth and a depth of people around you um, that you may never have in the workplace or in church life or and so you know if every story ultimately reveals desires that point to Jesus then hearing people's stories is not the enemy <laughs> even if they're stories that first off seem very anti-god even the, the path that, um, that took people down those lines will reveal desires which ultimately only Jesus can fulfill. So uh, for me, the biggest opportunity um, is uh, befriending and meeting people from a really wide range of backgrounds. And I think if you think that other people's questions are not the enemy, so long as they're humbly posed, and your own questions aren't the enemy, so long as they're humbly posed, and no person's experiences are the enemy, okay, then that can just, I, I think Christians can be the best listeners, the most interested people. And the truth is, everybody's story is unique. You'll never meet the same person with exactly the same story ever again in your life. And so allow yourself to be intrigued allow yourself even you know even if you meet somebody who on the face of it is quite boring they've got a story okay and don't bully them if they don't want to tell their story they don't want to tell their story but actually um if you can show interest in those people um i think that a key desire actually that that, that many people have today is that they want to be seen and I don't necessarily mean just in the kind of, they want to make a celebrity for themselves, although clearly some do. But actually they want to be seen. They want to know the de that the details of their life matter, that their story matters. And therefore, you know, I think there are, um, there are wonderful opportunities that we can have just through being interested. And then the kind of thing that we've been talking about with Story Events Weeks, um, uh, storytelling evenings, I think, you know, that's something which is being increasingly explored in Britain and, and, and maybe here in Ireland as well. 
um, or you take a theme and you say, look, tell a story on this theme, nearly always it opens up um, deep uh, points of contact into which Jesus ultimately makes sense. You may not have that opportunity again in the workplace. You may not have that uh, in local church life uh, beyond your graduation. So why not make make the most of it now? Yeah, I think I think the idea and the truth of the gospel ultimately fulfilling all the desires of people's stories <clears throat> is amazing, and in some ways, maybe it goes against the idea that, um, yeah potentially this is a slight caricature but despite what somebody's story is you know what they need to hear is the gospel and they don't need we don't need to know all the details of their story because you know the gospel will is is objective and true and you know their individual stories don't matter potentially is is a more kind of old school view whereas actually genuinely believing and understanding that regardless of what their story is that it's actually like the desire is, is satisfied in the gospel I think that's a really cool way of, of thinking about it. and yeah. I think that's totally right. I think there are two convictions which are very helpful. One is nobody needs an entirely new gospel. All right, mm-hmm. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So you never meet anybody and you think, oh, I need to figure out what the gospel is for them. At the mm-hmm. same time, the gospel contextualizes itself to individuals. So that regardless of a person's story, regardless of their experiences, their relationships, their thoughts, what they've made of their life, the real Jesus meets the real person, not despite the details of their life, but in the details of their life. And I think those two convictions together are super helpful for actually helping us to relax, to listen, but also to be confident um, as we share that hope in Jesus, even if a person's life story ostensibly is very different from our own. Peter, this has been so, so helpful. Thank you so much for giving up your time. For our listeners, Peter's actually um, giving up his breakfast time to be with us to do this podcast. So we're so very grateful um, for how you've been able to share with us. Thank you so much, Peter. Oh, no, pleasure. This is better than cornflakes anyway. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you so much. And we'll see you next time.